Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world, to run, grow, connect, and transform, to engage customers and patients across their journey. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from the digitalmarketinginstitute.com. The article did not have the name of the writer. It was very well done. So let me read you the little snippet I picked up to introduce our show today. Quote, for organizations to survive and thrive in a digitalized healthcare industry, pharma and healthcare companies must start generating ideas and implementing digital strategies immediately to develop a business model that allows them to transform their capabilities and strength. That is a lot to, lot to digest, a lot to think about. So what are we talking about here? Connectivity. Digitalization, I already used that word, and the resulting intelligence are helping life sciences companies discover and deliver new therapies and new patient services through technology collaboration. Think about this. There's a lot going on. Collaboration means companies and people are talking to each other and trying to figure out what is the best way through it. We're looking at businesses surviving. We're looking at patients surviving. We're looking at ways to connect patients with healthcare services and with new therapies. We want to extend life. That's the end goal. You might be aware of some of the examples of how this is already working successfully. You probably heard of wearables that use apps that connect a patient to a physician. You can remotely do an EKG. You can remotely be monitored if you're at a heart patient after release from a hospital. We also have heard of implanted devices that deliver serialized therapy that could be customized one-to-one patient to medication. We also are aware that there are Internet of Things, that's IoT sensors, put into packaging to ensure that when drugs, medications are transported, they're secure, they're tamper-proof, they're at the right temperature, they're viable, and so much more. Let me just say these are exciting times. We have a lot to talk about today with our three experts, and our title of today's episode officially is The Life Sciences Intelligent Enterprise connected patients and products. Welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. We have three experts on our panel, and let me just tell you briefly who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming a newcomer. He is Don Heiliger, H-E-I-L-I-G-E-R, if you want to look him up. Managing Director at Accenture. We're always happy to have Accenture on our shows. Joining him is another newcomer, Al Berry, just the way it sounds, B-E-R-R-Y. He's the Vice President for Connected Health at the Arbor Group, LLC, A-R-B-O-U-R, that's the British way. And joining us also, our third panelist is a returning panelist. It's been quite a while since she's been on welcoming back Petra Strang, Solution Manager in SAP's Industry Business Unit for Life Sciences. So welcome to my three experts. Let's get started with a wonderful quote Don Heiliger has sent me from Vince Lombardi. Anybody doesn't know Lombardi lived 1913 to 1970, American football player, coach, and executive in the NFL. That is the National 
National Football League. And what is he famous for? He was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers during the 1960s. And get this, he led the team to three straight and five total NFL championships in seven years. And he won the first two Super Bowls at the conclusion of the 1966 and 67 NFL seasons, considered the greatest coach by many in football history. Here's the quote. We would accomplish many more things if we did not think of them as impossible. Don Heiliger at Accenture, how are you today? I'm well, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. We are delighted to have you. I love the quote. Always happy to see a Don, I'm sorry, a Don bringing us a Vince Lombardi quote. Vince Lombardi really had quite a way of looking, words of wisdom and looking at leadership, looking at possibility. So, Don, tell us how you picked this quote for our topic today, please. Well, well, Bonnie, I, I picked it really for, for three reasons. And one, you know, given that we're right in the middle of the NFL season, and as an avid Packer fan, I, I couldn't come on this show and provide a quote that wasn't Vince Lombardi. So okay. you, can go through, you can go through a lot of different uh, quotes from him and, you know, really get inspired. But this one I, I found particular, uh, particularly good for this show for, for two other reasons, which is, one, it describes me a lot. I'm a glass-half-full person, and I'm, I'm always looking mm-hmm. at how we can, you know, continue to, you know, make change happen and, and do things that we think are impossible. Um, but the third is really about how the life sciences industry is really making the impossible possible. If you think about it, you know, when I grew up, uh, my dad, who was a diabetic, was, you know, shooting himself with a needle, you know, four mm-hmm. times a day. And, and now yep. an algorithm has changed that, right? And, and you don't need to do that anymore. If you think about, you know, in the cancer uh, field, right, there are, there are medicines now and, and uh, oncology and immuno-oncology that are actually now saving lives. And, you know, when I grew up, that just wasn't, you know, even possible. No one thought that that would be possible. So I thought that it was a great quote, uh, particularly relevant to this show. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate that because I have to think that people in the life sciences industry, we're going to be talking about this extensively with you, Alan Petra, today, have a good heart, want better outcomes, want better health around the world. It can't just be profit-driven. There has to be a sense of community, a sense of purpose, a sense of humanity. And and you mentioned algorithms. And, and we just did a show yesterday, Don, on my uh, my Coffee Break with Game Changers flagship series. And the show was, are you ready for your AI CEO? Are we going to have a robot on the, on the cover of Time magazine? This was even a quote from Jack Ma at Alibaba. By 2047, there'll be a robot CEO on the cover of Time magazine. Not that far off in time. And and so, just talk to me for for a moment about the humanity in life sciences. Does does working in life sciences require people to be aware of technology? We're talking about technology collaboration, but also have the sense of empathy. Is that part of what makes the industry successful and on the way to more success, Don? I I think it absolutely does. I mean, if you think about it. Uh, you know, when, when we work with our clients and the people that in our, in our life sciences practice, you know, get out of bed every day, they're thinking about how we help our clients save lives. And, you know, there's a lot of other industries that you know, I could be working in within Accenture or out there in the field or a lot of other career paths I could have chosen. Uh, but I, I think that I'm, I'm one of many here that, you know, when we, you get up out of bed every day and you think about the clients that we serve and you think about their mission, it just, it's something that drives you personally. It drives the group that you work with. And, and that, that really, you know, changes the game in terms of what we can do for the industry. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate that insight, Don. That's what I was looking for, especially at this holiday season. We want to talk about people being nice to each other, and, and that, that has to be the purpose of what Life Sciences does. Thank you and welcome. Now we're going to move a little bit around the table to our second special guest, Al Berry at the Arbor Group. And Al has sent us a quote that, Al, this is attributed to so many people, including Abraham Lincoln and all kinds of people, probably Einstein, probably Gandhi. The quote is, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Very popular quote, but in fact, it comes from Dennis Gabor, or Gaber, G-A-B-O-R. He wrote a book in 1963 called Inventing the Future, and if somebody is not familiar with Gabor, he was a Hungarian-British electrical engineer and physicist. He invented holography, you know, holograms, and he actually got the 1971 Nobel Prize in Physics, and there was a college in Budapest, Hungary named after him in honor of his work. So again, the quote is, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Al Berry, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. Talk to me about the quote. Who's, who's predicting the future? Who's creating it? What does this have to do with our topic on digitalization in life sciences? Talk to me. Yeah, in my, in my practice and um, as you know, there are more and more connected devices that are coming up. These are going to change the way Doctors work with patients. They give inf- more information to pa- doctors, more information to patients. I think the one side of the other coin is, hey, what is this going to do for us? Do we need to be afraid of it or do we not need to be afraid of it? And mm-hmm. I look at it from a perspective that, hey, this is great innovation. You don't need to be afraid of it. What you need to do is be part of it, right, and help create it. Because I think where we are going as a society having connected devices is going to drastically impact, you know, positive way in patient outcomes and give doctors more information, real-time information to make these big, big, you know, smart decisions using all the tools we have now like AI and machine learning to make the right call for patients and to improve how patients feel and live a much better life. So, when I take a look at this top this topic, I thought it was fitting. Mm-hmm. People shouldn't be afraid of the future. People should create it, right? And we all have a part to do in this and to help move this forward. We absolutely do. And that's an interesting point, Al. I think it goes back to individual and collective responsibility. And I also mentioned empathy when I was speaking with Don Heiliger a minute ago. Do you agree that empathy is very important rather than just being a scientist with, I, I, we used to say in the uh, in the financial industry, you know, the eye shades and the green lamp in the basement when the CPAs were doing all the books. Um, you just can't have those blinders on. You have to look at a bigger picture. Do you, do you, th- do you feel the same way about empathy in life sciences, Al? Hundred percent. I think it is it is it is a critical piece of life sciences. You know, all all my clients talk about it, and people go to work, you know, to make sure they want to have a positive impact on the patients and the in their communities. And I think that empathy part of it is a huge component. And I think that is what is driving a lot of people, both on the doctors, the HCPs, and uh, the patients. More importantly, uh, people who work in this life sciences company wake up every day and try their mission is to impact life in a more positive way. 
Absolutely. Do you think it's an exciting field for young people to get into today in life sciences because of all of this? I'll say it, exciting new technology and the opportunities for collaboration and to have those eureka, epiphany, aha moments, Al. Do you think that, that there's a draw for kids in the science field coming out of college to say, I want to work for pharma, I want to work for life sciences company? What, quickly, what's your thought on that? Yes, I, it's, I think it's, it, kids are getting more excited. I'll give you a good example. My mm-hmm. 15-year-old daughter asked me, say, hey, I want to get into something, but I don't want uh, computers and AI to replace me. And I said, wow, that is great. How about you be the person creating the AI and you be the person <laughs> creating the computers? And she, she paused for about five minutes. She said, hmm, I think that's the right thing to do. So I think yeah. much young people are looking at it differently. And as yeah. we can give them advices on, you know, what it means and interpret it for them, I think they are going to gravitate towards that area. Thank you very much. I was looking for that. I always try to bring in the human element, especially when we're talking about digitalization. It sounds so technical, but there are people. That's right. People are creating the computers and the algorithms. There's a a person at the end of that supply chain somewhere doing it. So thank you very much, Al. Pleasure to have you. Looking forward to a lot more insights from you during the show. And now let's go a little bit further around our virtual roundtable to Petra Strang, Solution Manager in SAP's Industry Business Unit for Life Sciences. And Petra has sent us a long but very, very, very worthwhile quote from Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil is still with us, born in February of 1948. I will call him a young person. I'm allowed to say that. He's an American inventor and futurist involved in the fields of optical character recognition. That's OCR, text-to-speech synthesis, speech recognition technology, and electronic keyboard instruments. He has written books on health, artificial intelligence, there's our AI popping up again, trans humanism, I don't know what that is, the technological singularity and futurism. And here is the quote, everybody listen up, it's long, but it's worth it. Our intuition about the future is linear, but the reality of information technology is exponential, and that makes a profound difference. If I take 30 steps linearly, I get to 30. If I take 30 steps exponentially, I get to a billion. Petra Strang, I love this quote. How are you, Petra? Welcome back. Thanks, Bonnie, for inviting me again. Pleasure to be on your show again. Thank you. Talk to me about this quote. I love it. I've been sitting here when I think about this quote and I read it, Petra, I look at my notes. I want to walk across the room and take 30 steps and say, how can I make those exponential? So tell me how this quote relates to our topic today. I love it. I had the same feeling when I read the quote um, for the first time. It it just drives it home what it means, exponential growth and exponential innovation. So when I'm at life sciences conferences and I see the research uh, and the startup companies, what is going on there, it is so fantastic. And it's uh, wonderful to see where the combination of different technologies, of different approaches uh, to health and healthcare can can get us. But we also know that humans are not very good in predicting um, what is happening in 10 years from now. We can sort of think in a five-year horizon, but everything beyond that, um, we underestimate uh, what kind of changes the future will, will bring. So I think that quote um, drives it home that uh, we, we should uh, really imagine big and think big and, uh, um, you know, just in the last Two years, 90% of all humankind's data has been created. 
90% of everything that, uh, that humans have done and recorded. So that makes me very excited to live in today's day and really looking forward to the future, what that will bring. Absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm still thinking about how to make my 30 steps. You know something when it comes to exercise, Petra, if I could take 30 <laughs> steps and make them exponential, think about how much thinner I would be at the end of the day. But that's a whole different thought. Petra, I want to get you to please share your reflections on some of the the words I interjected in my conversations with your co-panelists with Don Heiliger at Accenture and Alberry at Arbor Group. I mentioned excitement of young people to enter healthcare, pharma, life sciences. I mentioned empathy. I mentioned the collective good, not just what is the science. So what are your thoughts on people in this industry today, since you're part of it? I do indeed believe that our industry, healthcare and life sciences, is the most important one. And I can only encourage young people to look into this, to engage in this, and uh, start thinking about research of what kind of good it can do for mankind. It is an industry that uh, requires compassion, um, so it's uh, something that drives us, that makes us get up in the morning, that uh, has shaped my whole life. Uh, I've been in this uh, industry for a quarter century al- already. I studied medical computer science. Uh, I always liked and embraced biology and medicine, so it's it's the age of biology that we're living in these days. You know, There was uh, the, the age of uh, physics, the age of chemistry, chemistry now it's the time of biology and medicine and uh, yeah let's let's make the most of it for the best of uh, of humankind Thank you very much. I like that. Petra, welcome back. Please, so pleased to have you back. It's been a couple of years, I think. And now let's go around the table and get to know a little bit more about our panelists. So Don Heiliger, you're up first. And Don, I have three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite beverage that powers you to be so smart and so engaged with your work? And number three, tell us about what you do at Accenture. Don, go ahead. Sure. So uh, first, I'm uh, today. I'm in uh, the Princeton, New Jersey area, but I'm uh, based out of Brooklyn, New York. So it's a pretty quick drive over there. Um, what is in my beverage today is actually decaf coffee. What fuels me is coffee. But uh, one trip to the doctor a few years back said I should uh, think about decaf given the amount I was drinking. So mm. I usually do one uh, one cup to power me in the morning from Starbucks, and the rest is uh, hitting some of the decaf uh, in, in the day. Um, and, and what I do at Accenture is, uh, you know, really help help clients navigate, uh, you know, the new. And, and what, in Accenture, we call the new a lot of things we talked about, right? What is, you know, the new technologies, whether it's AI, machine learning, and, and other technologies that just help uh, power not only this industry but other industries. And how do we help embrace some of that with some of the more traditional ERPs and do some of that transformation that really brings that business benefit? So that's a little bit what I do uh, within Accenture. Thank you. And you mentioned Starbucks coffee. Do you have a favorite flavor at or favorite flavor size? Come on, give me a little more information. What's your favorite when you're doing the real thing? <laughs> I, I am a uh, black coffee venti, you know, pretty pretty standard, no no milk, no sugar. Just you know, give me the caffeine, give me the venti, and we're good to go. Thank you very much. That's what I wanted to know. Al Berry. At the Arbor Group, you're up next. Al, where in the world are you today? What do you love to drink? And what is your role? And what does the Arbor Group do, Al? Right. Uh, I'm uh, Fortunately, I'm in uh, Las Vegas today attending a conference. And um, I'm actually based out of New Jersey. Um, 
at Arbor Group, I work mainly with um, our connected health practice, and uh, what that does is we we try to help c- companies and our clients use connected devices where we apply regulations. We help them uh, transition and look at the regulations that around the globe, whether it's from the Food and Drug Administration (FDA), you know, the MHRA, the EU. Uh, some of the uh, Singapore and how they use AI machine learning and ensuring the safety of uh, these connected devices when they get into our patients. And normally we, you know, they, they cut across a lot of various things, including, you know, the cloud. The cloud is a big piece of it, and our, uh, most of our clients are using the cloud. The latest GDPR uh, pro- uh, law from the European Union. So. In, in except, you know, we help people make sure these connected devices, once they are in there, first they are built right, and once they are in the patient, they remain, uh, they, they fit intended need. And we'll talk more about it as we go along, and now we'll share a little bit more facts about it as we go through the show. Thank you very much, Al. Pleasure to have you. Petra String, bring us up to date. Where are you? I know you're, I know we called you. I, I know approximately where you are in the world. Tell us where you are, what your favorite drink is, maybe even what you're going to be drinking over the holidays, and what is your current role at SAP? Petra? Yes, I'm across the Atlantic, dialing in from Germany. Uh, in my cup, or rather my glass, I have sparkling water. Even though I'm in IT, I'm not a coffee drinker like, like Don. can't even stand the smell of it. Even though I'm German, I don't like wine or beer. Um, so that's uh, off the table. I don't like the sweetness of soda or juice. I'd rather have my calorie intake with chocolate than with beverages. So sparkling water it is for me. <laughs> but if you ever figure out these exponential 30 steps to lose uh, the um, yep. intake in calories, um, I'll let then you know. we can have a second discussion around this. <laughs> yes, we can. At, at, at SAP, I'm, I always call my role the translator. It is uh, taking what the business needs and translating this into what a programmer uh, needs to put into code to, to make uh, the business requirements reality. Okay, I, I have to ask you, since you gave us your list of do not enjoy beverages, I would love to know what kind of chocolate you enjoy because you mentioned that. So what's your favorite chocolate? I've never asked this on the show before in, in seven years, Petra. So let's change it around a little bit. If you're not drinking anything too interesting, what kind of chocolate do you like? I'm, I'm not into um, expensive chocolate. I'm not into dark chocolate um Sorry to say I'm not into Hershey chocolate, um, just uh, regular milk chocolate with some kind of nice filling. Now you make me hungry. (laughs) That's funny. Thank you very much. I have to stop laughing because when we get the transcript, it's going to say at this point on the timestamp, it's going to say, Petra said blah, blah, blah. It's going to say inaudible because Bonnie was laughing so hard. So I apologize for that. Uh, Petra may remember, Don and Al don't know me, but I am not allowed to go near caffeine on radio show days. And you probably have figured out why already. I get such joy from speaking with smart people like the three of you. I don't need to be powered with anything like caffeine. 
So I'm just having my usual cool, clear cup of cool, clear water here. I brought my cool, clear mugs with me from New York. I relocated one year ago from Long Island, New York to Durham, North Carolina. That's where I am. I'm on the East Coast, Don and Al. And I will tell you that the temperatures here are not what I expected moving to the south. We are about 23 degrees overnight, and we're at 33 right now. But we have the expectation of reaching up into the low 50s today. Woo-hoo! Still means winter coat and maybe maybe small boots and tights. It is a gorgeous day, blue sky, not a cloud to be seen, and I'm very happy to be here speaking with the three of you. So we're going to take a quick break. I'll say to my panelists, get ready. We're going to start the roundtable in earnest when we come back, and Don Heiliger at Accenture will kick us off. If you're just joining us, this is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries Radio. A shout-out to my colleague Michelle Schuf for putting together this topic in this wonderful panel. Thank you, Michelle. And our topic today is the Life Sciences Intelligent Enterprise. We actually have had a recent series under the Game Changers banner called the Intelligent Enterprise, but we're focusing on life sciences and talking specifically about technology collaboration and what does it do in terms of connected patients and products. We even introduced the concept of empathy to the conversation, thanks to me, because I like to get the people part in an interesting industry for anybody. So I will say to our listeners around the world, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be back in 90 seconds. You can count them with us. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Power your digital transformation. Innovate with new technologies. Integrate them into your business and scale seamlessly as your company grows. Changing the game in consumer industries brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges and cutting-edge technologies to help you digitally transform for an improved focus on the consumer and the patient. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top consumer industry and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the digital economy is shaping the future of consumer industries. Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to changing the game in consumer industries. Yes, indeed. Welcome back. We're speaking about the Life Sciences Intelligent Enterprise Connected Patients and Products. My special guests today are Don Heiliger at Accenture, Al Berry at Arbor Group LLC, and Petra String at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I think I'll stay that way for the rest of the day. We're starting our roundtable specifically right now, this portion of the show. We go around and around the table. Each panelist will introduce a topic, and then we'll see what the others have to say. So 
Don Heiliger has graciously agreed to kick this off, and here's what Don told me in his notes before the show. He said the life sciences industry is shifting from a focus on delivering volumes of products to delivering improved patient outcomes and value to the healthcare system. Don, I'm going to stop there and let you expand this for us. Please go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, so, you know, the, the volume to value shift uh, has been out for, for a number of years now. Uh, actually, our our recently former uh, head of life sciences globally, Anna Reardon, came out with a book along with uh, Jeff Elton that talked about the shift of volume to value. But it, as we you know continue that narrative, if you look at the forces that are changing, you know, this industry in particular, it's really the uh, the compressive dis- disruption that you know has an effect on every industry. And, and while while I talk about compressive disruption, I, I need to explain that versus the more explosive or big bang disruption, which you can think about. You know, you know, going back many years, the ice farmers in Minnesota with refrigeration and putting that—that's a big bang disruption. Or more recently, as we are all familiar with, the smartphones, you know, now replacing any TomTom that's out there for navigation. Right? Those are more the explosive mm-hmm. big bang disruption. But if you think about compressive disruption, these are these are things that happen over two to three decades, and it it's actually uh, much longer than a, you know a typical management team of a company, uh, which is you know five to eight years. And what that does is it nibbles away at the profits, and and when it nibbles away at the profits, it actually uh, limits the ability for you to invest in digital. Everything that we're talking about today, you know, as as other entrants come into play, and we'll talk about that in a second that nibbles away at the profits and it actually limits your ability to then take advantage of all these new technologies and build the new algorithms as I talked about and do the research that, you know, we talked about earlier to, you know, save lives and the empathy human-based, you know, focus here. And so, you know, if you think about where where we want to head, it's how do you actually transform uh, the core business so that you can continue that profit stream to invest in the new uh, because as you look at the entrance into the life sciences space, you're seeing, you know, in the last, uh, you know, just in 2018, you know, a tremendous amount of partnerships with non-traditional sources, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Google, mm-hmm. you know, Tencent. Um, I mean, you're just seeing it change fundamentally, and I think that just sets the stage to everything else we're going to talk about in the next 30 minutes. Thank you very much, Don. Let's see what Al Berry has to say about this. A lot on the table. Al, go ahead. Yeah. And now, Don, thank you, and Bonnie, thanks. I think I concur with what bon, uh, Don is saying, and I think what what I'm seeing is, you know, we're coming to mainly value-based uh, way of looking at uh, patient care. The important thing is, like, right now we have so much data, right? In the past, we did not have a lot of data, so it was mainly, you know, a group-based kind of thinking, right, of medicine group-based. Now, because we have so much data and individualized data, and we do have the tools like AI machine learning to process them in a fast way, we're getting more to the stage where we can appropriately look at value or individualize uh, these uh, products for, for the patients, which are yielding better outcomes, right? So the the outcomes are no longer generalized, right? But the outcome based on the tools and the data we have are able to become individualized, which actually improve the value chain proposition for each individual patient. Thank you very much. Petra, join us. What do you think? I definitely agree both with Don and and Al. There is a tsunami of a digital transformation, a big change coming in and hitting our industry. 
other industries have certainly faced this uh, before us, uh, media at the, at the very beginning. It is a change from a product-based uh, company, so from a pill or a medical device um, thinking to initially a what kind of service offerings do I need uh, to provide to my patients uh, around it. And nowadays, as, as Elle has already mentioned, um, to look at data, at intelligent processing of data, of gaining medical insights uh, from mm -hmm. it for better patient treatment. So the, the acknowledgement that data in itself has value and that um, I need to adjust my business processes around it, that is something that uh, some companies are still struggling with it. Thank you very much. Don, we do have a minute for, uh, for you to chime back in. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists just shared on your statement? Don Heiliger? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was great to get their insight because it just built off of, you know, what, what we had started in, in the conversation. And uh, I, loved, I loved their perspective because it, it's very much in line with what, you know, we're looking at in terms of the wise pivot, which is, you know, how after you transform your core business and you grow your core business to make sure you continue to do that very, with very profitable growth, but how do you actually scale the new business? And the new business is exactly what both of them talked about. You know, you've got, you know, the, the different, um, you know, services that you offer, the different technology capabilities that you offer, and that's that wise pivot. You need to make sure you're doing all that in, in a very thoughtful, planned way because uh, if you grow the new without, you know, taking care of your old business, right, it, it, you're, you're only going to have the new and you're not going to have that growth of the uh, profitable revenue stream. So I think uh, both of them expanded on it very nicely and, and fits very well with you know, how we're thinking about this change for the life sciences companies. Thank you, Don. Appreciate that. Al Barry, uh, moving on to some statements you sent me before the show, and, and with your permission, I'm going to combine two statements because I have a place I want to take this conversation. You say, ensuring sure. that the connected devices continuously perform as expected, okay, will be critical for HCPs and patient safety. But then I want to move to your next statement, ensuring the security of data as it relates to connected devices is also important. Think of what would happen if a hacker gets access or takes control of a connected device, which could be harmful to the patient, I'm assuming to their reputation, to all kinds of questions of who is going to do what with that data. So, Al, can you please talk to us about these connected devices and where are we with security, with continuous performance, with reliability. Let's do, a, a, if you don't mind, a health check on where we are. No, that's, that's a good point, uh, and I think it follows pretty well with the uh, discussion with um, Don and Petra. I think the, 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 the opportunity we have right now is these connected devices, they're going to be playing you know, very critical roles, right? And the explosion of you know, cyber security and vulnerabilities mm -hmm. of these devices become very paramount. You know, two ways to look at it. One is making sure those devices are up to date. How do you patch those devices? You know, periodic make sure vulnerabilities are closed. Because, you know, it's not an ordinary computer sitting down in your in your office, right? If you, if you patch it and it goes wrong, you, can, you know, rollback is easy. Now, this is something in a patient, you know, you got to make sure you got it right. And I think the regulators are catching up to it. And there are ways that we can really make sure these devices are sound. And in every way of the form, manufacturers are making sure 
these devices have the right, you know, uh, safeguards around them to ensure that once they are there, there are ways to maintain them and the patients also can be confident that they are due diligence to make sure they, these devices do not fall into the hands of the wrong person, transmit the wrong data. Uh, some of the challenges we have in the industry is about ensuring that, you know, not just the security, but the privacy of the data, the, the data going across the wires. So I think it's an interesting time, but I don't think it's something, uh, it's something that the industry can really work on and make sure there is a path forward for, to ensure we have all of these things safe and secured. Thank you very much. Very important. Petra Streg, love to get your thoughts on this, please a very, very important uh, topic. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, last year the FDA brought out a warning that an infusion pump uh, could be manipulated uh, remotely. So that can be very harmful to patients who rely on the amount of uh, liquid and medicine flowing into their body to be accurate. Therefore, when you um, set up such uh, devices and uh, e-health scenarios, it's important that you have a institutes and uh, and devices that you can trust that are secured from the very beginning of their design of the interfaces, the device design, the um, touch points to um, the the data storage um, info, information or, or platforms, because in fact there are indeed people out there who not only want to test it out how far they can go um, the technology-wise, but really with the harmful, malicious intent of, uh, of doing harm to, to patients. And these kind of things you have to stop in an organized way and you have to constantly monitor the security and uh, assess um, what are the best strategies to enable such kind of e-health scenarios in the best possible way. Um, keeping hackers and uh, such kind of um, harmful intent people out. Thank you very much. Not easy. I I remember uh, my daughter is a a physician and she is so thoughtful about uh, HIPAA, not even mentioning a patient's name when she's sitting in a restaurant or, or anything to do with anything. She just is so careful about protecting privacy. I remember once when my mom was in a hospital in New York, I I visited her. We took took her to the emergency room and, and something was wrong, but they diagnosed it quickly and, and got her back home that day. But I remember getting in an elevator and uh, two, two physicians were talking about one of their shared patients. And they did everything but give me the patient's social security number. I had the name where the patient was. They just in an open conversation. So data privacy is an interesting thing. I'm going to bring you in on this, Don, in just a second. Data privacy is interesting because it really comes from verbal conversations. That's where we didn't have it and written forms, right, being shared. I remember being in a waiting room with a family member and over a loudspeaker, they called her name that she was the next one to go into the examining room. And I thought, seriously, you're calling people's names over a loudspeaker so everybody in this busy hospital knows who's here? What if? What if? What if? Don, love to get your thoughts on privacy. I know we're talking about the digital form of privacy, but it's a much bigger picture, isn't it, Don? Yeah, you, you, you bring me back home to my childhood waiting in the waiting rooms and uh, exactly like you said, the names over the loudspeaker and, you know, it, it We've got 20 more minutes, but I think we could go on for two days on this topic. Uh, yeah. But just to, to maybe summarize, Bonnie, 
Uh, one, I totally agree about the security piece. I mean, you know, you're, you're seeing not only in our business, but in, in business in, in general, right, the, the attention that security is getting to the C-suite is, you know, by far more than ever right now because of not only this industry, but everything you see in, in terms of privacy and security. So that is going to continue to be, you know, a focus of the C-suite on down and something that they're driving. Uh, but the second thing I think that's interesting is we talked about, you know, the willingness to share information and, and you know, certainly agree with your comments on the waiting room, but, you know, the, you're, you're actually seeing the, the millennials drive this a lot. Is the, the willingness to share information is a lot more now than it would be with, you know, you know, I guess me or my parents or definitely my grandparents. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the overwhelming vast majority of people believe that, you know, they would share information in order to get something in return, in which you're seeing a lot of the EMR data and how that, that's all coming together. I think that you're seeing that there's a definite need and a demand for that from the, the patients and the consumers. And that, I think, is changing the way that the regulatory bodies are also thinking about it. I'll mention that. And, and I think that they need to continue to evolve their thinking and how to bring you know, more of this to life so that we can get you know, better outcomes, because if we share more and, and get better outcomes, I think, you know, the vast majority, as I said, would, would sign up for that, especially uh, as the millennials can continue to come up. Thank you very much. Al Berry, let's go back to you briefly. I want to move on and get something from Petra's list, but what are your thoughts on what Petra and I and Don shared about your topics? Al Berry? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm completely aligned with uh, Petra, Don, and yourself. I think this is an area that needs, uh, uh, you know, discussion and improvement, and it's an opportunity for us. And I think most of the companies and are doing it well. To Dan's point again, the regulators are looking at it, and I think they need to ch- uh, change a little bit. But I think to my opening, uh, you know, quote, this is not something we need to be afraid of. It's something we need to embrace, and there are ways we can work through it. And at Abo Group, that's what we do daily with our clients. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm happy to be on the panel with uh, uh, Dan and Petra on this. I think this is really good. Thank you very much. Petra, I'm looking at your notes. There's so many interesting things we could talk about. But let's talk about, um, I'm looking at your second second note here. You say, with rising health care costs, societies need to find ways to distribute resources where most needed and leverage technology to free up healthcare personnel. And this is interesting. You say, this is where e-health scenarios supported by IoT technology as a low-touch option come in handy. You want to tell us a little bit more about this, please, Petra? We all know that money is tight in in this uh, kind of industry, even though it's one of the most important things that people can spend money for, uh, our health. But um, resources, nurses, etc. are not well paid. Um, Elderly care um, is in many countries a disaster. So, yes, we need to be smarter in how we distribute the few resources that we have, um, how we make the money last uh, as far as as can possibly be, and uh, leveraging these kind of technologies to bring a doctor's uh, information to the patient without uh, having to transport the patient um, for many miles or kilometers uh, to meet the doctor in, in person, using it in rural areas, using it also in uh, less developed um, countries where Mm -hmm. the distance between patient and doctor is even further apart. So this is where we have to be smart in leveraging technologies to overcome certain hurdles, both financially as well as on, on the practical side. 
Thank you. Very, very interesting. Let's talk a little bit about that e-healthcare and about this distribution of limited resources, whether it's money, whether it's personnel, the opportunities. Of course, this entails patients cooperating, using, agreeing to the devices, if we're talking about embedded devices, using them if we're talking about wearables. We're talking about being in touch with the technology, whether it's Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, to be able to transmit the data. We're talking about the availability of trained personnel to read the data and respond if it's an emergency situation. Don, join us. Thoughts about what Petra just introduced, please. Yeah, I, I think, you know, spot on, Petra, in terms of uh, just, you know, some of the numbers that I have in, in, in front of me. I mean, the rise in healthcare outstripped the rise in GDP by 55% in 2017 in the U.S., so if you think about, you know, the cost of you know, of doing business, the cost of healthcare, right? It, it's in an unsustainable model. So that's why you're looking for, you know, payers and, and acting to control costs through value-based contracting and and things like this. And I think that's driving a, a shift, not only in the way that the the healthcare system is, you know, working in terms of the payers, but also in in how the care is provided. Petra, you talked about. You know that digital and other services are are making it easier for people in more remote locations that you know couldn't you know travel you know multiple hours or you know in days in some countries to get to you know a point of care that digital is actually enabling that uh, care to to be had, which means um, that more people um, can be served and that's that's good for for a business in terms of revenue, but it's even more so better in terms of that's more people that can you know get the outcomes or the benefit or or, or have more more safe lives for this industry. Thank you very much, Al Barry. Join us, please. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, that that's a very good point, uh, uh, Petra and uh, Dan makes. Uh, I'm looking at it from a perspective is with all this automation that we have, all this digitization. Hopefully, it becomes much cheaper over time. The price of these services will go down. But just think about it. If a patient had a, a pacemaker that could communicate via the internet to their doctor mm-hmm. while they are monitoring real time, we could, quick, a, a hard example, we could easily reduce the amount of ambulance calls, right? So hopefully over time, and to Dan's point, you know, you don't really have to be in the, in the clinic to see the doctor because basically whatever wearables or connected device you have, can beam the information, can send the information to the doctor, right, without being in the hospital. And I think having that improvement over time should definitely drive down costs. So I'm pretty optimistic that with all these advances and e-services we have in, one, we will get more, uh, we get more patients connected to the services, and two, that will eventually drive down costs. We, I'm optimistic about that. Good. I like that optimism. We haven't gotten to the predictions part of the show yet, but I'm hoping we get some optimism from you, Mr. Alberry. Petra, let's go around the table to you. Thoughts? Anything you want to add to what you, to your statement that I read and or to what your co-panelists just shared? Els pacemaker example brought to mind a recent study in uh, Western Germany where um, elderly people with uh, heart uh, failures uh, were monitored uh, via such a telemedicine approach. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, they had zero issues with the technology. So they were all um, able, willing and glad to use it. And not only did their health parameters improve, but also and maybe even more important, their general feeling of well-being, of knowing that help is 
you know, just a, a, a call away that they are being monitored, that their heart doesn't stop at night and they will wake up the next morning. So mm-hmm. um, this kind of um, being taken care of, that assurance that uh, um, technology helps uh, people, that there is someone who would, al- who would be alerted if things go wrong, that makes people live and sleep much better than before. Thank you very much. You know, we have a couple of minutes, just a few before we go into the crystal ball predictions round, as I mentioned. Al Barry, I found something in here that, that I don't think we've touched upon yet. I just want to emphasize this point, quickly go around the table. You say the healthcare industry needs to establish means to keep connected devices up to date and manage the risk associated with connected devices. We talked about trust. We talked about making sure to ensure the privacy of the data as it's transmitted. But the costs, the person power, I won't say manpower, the people power to keep connected devices up to date, whether that is through technology, meaning remotely updating the software, automatically forcing an update, and or saying to a patient, "Mm, that thing we've got embedded in your arm, eh, three years, it's shot, come on in, we need to open it up, open up, put another device in there, and getting them back in for another procedure. So how how difficult is this to keep connected devices up to date? Al, just a quick comment from you, then Petra and Don, and then we'll do our prediction. So go ahead, Al. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's an interesting question, and I think um, uh, it shouldn't, it, it, it's, it's a challenge and an opportunity for us, because building the device is one thing, by making sure the device remains safe, you know, with all these uh, internet vulnerabilities, you think you close one today and then the next time you find another one. I, I'm hoping the, the goal will be to be able to find a good way to do it electronically, unless mm-hmm. it's really needed to, before you go into the hospital. But I, I think it is a, it's a solvable problem. We have so many tools and so many ways to approach it. And I'm, I think I, uh, I'm excited about it. Thank you very much. Petra, your thoughts on keeping these devices up to date seems very important. What do you think? In, indeed it is, because nobody wants to um, be cut open again just to, let's say, replace a, a battery or update uh, the next uh, software version um, of an implant. So I believe we're just at the, at the beginning of the innovations in, in, these, uh, in this area. When you think of... Uh, watches that are either solar powered um, these days or um, with the movement of your arms um, the the batteries get get recharged i mean this has all happened um, quickly and almost unnoticed uh, to the majority of us so i have uh, very little doubt that uh, such kind of innovations will find their way into the medical practice and into the medical devices as well and that in a couple years from now we won't even struggle or have to think about um, how to deal with uh, with updates, uh, battery uh, life, and uh, making sure the, the medical devices stay up to date and the implants as well. Thank you very much, Don Heiliger. Get ready for your prediction, but first, what are your thoughts on keeping connected devices up to date, Don? I, I, uh, I totally agree with where it's heading. I mean, if, if I go back even to the quote, right, it's, uh, you know, Imagine what we can think is uh, impossible. Imagine if we think it's possible, right? If if I would have imagined the smartphone 15 years ago, I still would have, you know, imagined that any updates would have been to plug it into the computer and get it updated. And now it it happens, you know, automatically. Or if I, you know, get a new iPhone, I just go in and it updates from the the cloud, 
right? And so I think, you know, looking at that and looking at, you know, where things are heading, uh, couldn't agree more with uh, the two other panelists we have here. Thank you. Don, 60 seconds. You're up. Talk to me. Predictions. What do you see coming up or down the pike, up or down the stream or the road in terms of healthcare, connected patients and devices, the life sciences, smart enterprise, intelligent enterprise? Don, 60 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think let's just expand on that topic. I think that, uh, you know, three quarters, 75% of, of all patient uh, visits into the the hospitals of what they do today will, will go away in the next uh, five to ten years. If you look at uh, now, even with the advent of, you know, some of the EKG readers on the latest, uh, you know, Apple mm-hmm. Watch, right, you look at the need to go in for, uh, you know, for checkups, right, you're going to see just more and more being able to be done, uh, and that's going to change, as we talked about, the ability to reach remote locations. Uh, it's going to change the way that we price. It's going to, you know, change the way that uh, companies have access to, you know, a much broader set of uh, patient populations and treating, you know, previously unmet needs. Uh, so I think you're going to see a lot, a lot of change in the next five to ten years, and, and it's going to be the, the people that are leading in digital that take advantage of that. Thank you very much. Al Berry, 60 seconds. Predict Europe. Yes, I, I think in the line of Dan, I think in the next 10, 20 years, I mean, connected device will be very prevalent. We would have found a way to make them secure and safe. And this will radically change the way medicine is practiced and will improve the patient outcome. Just imagine where patients, how many patients will be able to connect, be connected to their doctors real time and the improvement that doctors can real time give to patients. I think that would be a great, that's where we are going to be soon. Thank you very much. Petra Strang, predict 60 seconds are yours. I believe that in the future it will be completely natural for us that medicinal product data, device data, patient's health data shall be connected, just like, you know, it's natural for us now to use the GPS when we start the car. In fact, I think of it as a medical GPS that helps us um, find the way through the um, to the treatment uh, jungles to predict when there is a traffic jam or a health issue up front, find a way around it and bring us home safe and sound. That's where I think we're headed, hopefully, and hopefully very fast. Thank you. Lots of good wishes in there. I hope the three of you are looking forward to a wonderful holiday season. We're just about at that cusp now. We just celebrated Thanksgiving last week here in the U.S. And Petra, do you have something like Thanksgiving uh, you celebrate in Germany? Quickly tell me. Not to celebrate, um, but of course we have a Thanksgiving which is uh, um, celebrated more at homes or churches, but not like uh, for you it's almost like a a small Christmas that's not quite as important for us. <laughs> it's an industry. It Christmas. signals it's time for Christmas music on all the radio stations and for people to put their trees up and their lights outside. That's all I'm going to say. I want to thank our three panelists. It's been a real pleasure getting to know the three of you and Petra to have you back. Thank you so much. So I'm going to say a shout out to our engineer extraordinaire Aaron Keller at the Business Channel. I'm going to say another shout out to my colleague at SAP Michelle Schuf for putting together a wonderful panel. Michelle, this Panel really rocked the topic. Wonderful people. Thank you so much. And I'm going to do my call to action. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Don Heiliger at Accenture, just like Al Berry at the Arbor Group LLC, and just like Petra Strang at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.